Hey everybody, welcome to Scream Mavericks, where we take an in-depth dive into some of your favorite movies and TV shows, new and old. I'm Jen, and as always, I'm joined by the unmatched wit of the lovely Megan. Let's dive on in. everyone today we are covering a christmas classic home alone and home alone 2 we will not be discussing home alone 3 4 or 5 because in my mind they don't exist so join us for today's deep dive and spoilers obviously jen why don't you start us off okay so the first home alone movie which i have to say these are in like my top five all-time all-time favorite christmas movies i cannot make it through Christmas without watching them multiple times. So the first Home Alone came out in 1990 and two came out a couple years later in 1992. So we were we were still youngins, Meg, back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're definitely movies of our childhood. And of course, fun fact for anybody who doesn't know this, they are written and produced by John Hughes. Another fun fact, they were also written in, the first one was written in 10 days. Which is impressive because it's really hard to write a movie script. Yeah. And uh, of course, John Hughes. I love John Hughes. I grew up watching his movies. And we're going to cover John Hughes down the road a little bit with some of his older movies. But you can really kind of feel his spirit in both of these movies, which is great. And both movies are directed by Christopher Columbus. So you have that great continuity. But the first Home Alone is kind of special in its way because it doesn't really take place many places other than their little their town or their neighborhood except for when you have the shots in Paris Mm -hmm. and just in case anyone is blissfully unaware of the plot of this movie (laughs) you have an eight-year-old boy who gets left home alone his whole family was going to Paris for Christmas and the extended family was joining them there's a lot of kids there's a lot of commotion The parents sleep in because there's a power outage, and this is important because of what it means for two. There was a power outage. Alarm clocks went off. This was before people woke up with their cell phones. And they're rushing to get out the door, and they accidentally miscount one of the neighbor kids as Kevin, and they take off to the airport without him and don't realize he's gone until their midway flight to Paris. It's funny because watching this as a kid, I didn't pick up on all those little nuances of how they forgot him. I was like, this doesn't make sense. And now rewatching it recently as an adult, I was like, oh, actually, they answer all of my questions. Like all the questions that I remember having as a kid are actually answered in the film. Oh, absolutely. And I remember thinking, you know, how 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 could their alarm clock possibly go off a second time, which in the in when you know we go to talk about two, you actually see him unplug the Mm -hmm. clock to plug in his shaver. So, you know, there's like these little things that we do. They're just little things that humans do. We we do them without thinking about them. Yeah. But they can lead to, you know, consequences. But in in this case, the first one being a power outage, I I guess they didn't notice. This is the only thing that ever bugged me. It was like, you didn't notice that your clock was off before you went to sleep. Or wait, they were already asleep, right? They were in the first one. They were asleep and their power went out. In right, the middle of the night, and the clock right. went off. In the second one, his, like, camcorder battery is plugged into the wall, and he unplugs it to, like, either get it out or put it in or whatever. Um, but he never resets the clock once he's unplugged it. And 
the thing that surprised me though about that is like I remember being a kid and like <laughs> I was not a morning person but like my sister definitely was and like I find it hard to believe that they had a house of 15 people and nobody woke up before 8 a.m like excited about a trip you're telling me everybody slept in yeah I yeah I, I, I had that same same thought because even though I'm not a morning person I usually can't sleep the night before I'm going on a trip, let alone to Paris. Yeah. But I, you know, it adds to the, to the story because we don't get one without the other yeah. um, in this story. And one of the hallmarks too of, of both of these movies, which gets repeated in the second movie is the chaos of the house. I love that. Yeah. I, it's funny because the second one I started watching and I was like, wait, am I watching the first one? Did this start wrong? And it's like, nope, they're just, you know, reshowing you similar chaos. Right. Cause it comes on and everybody's trying to pack their stuff going everywhere. People are trying to order food for everybody because they, you have 14 people total that are going on this trip and trying to organize 14 people to go on an international vacation is not an easy feat especially when 10 of them are kids i mean some of them are teenagers granted but some you know for the most part they're they're all you know young people and you have the parents and you have this chaos and you even and you get to kind of see kevin our main character kevin McAllister, kind of weaved in and out of the chaos with these different little side conversations you get to kind of see a little bit a tiny bit of his personality at first but then kind of his interaction with his siblings. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's very reminiscent of like, I remember holiday times when we were little and like my family is a pretty large family on my mom's side. And I do, I remember it being that chaotic when we would all get together and granted we weren't flying anywhere, but it's just people would come in and stay at my grandma's house. And so we would all be there. And it was, it was like, it was, it encapsulated exactly what it's like being in a house with a ton of people. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I don't know, obviously, because I did not grow up without siblings, but obviously I know you did. And these kind of conversations that are back and forth between Kevin and his siblings, where it makes it seem like they hate each other. But I mean, they don't actually, as we come to find out. But there's, you know, Kevin's the youngest, so he always feels like he gets picked on, but he is kind of a pain in the butt. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it goes with the territory, you know, siblings fight, but at the end of the day, they love each other. And of course, there's when it comes to siblings, specifically Buzz, who I believe is the oldest, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Buzz is the oldest. And then there's some other kids thrown in there. I'm not even sure which ones are the like siblings and which ones are the cousins, but I. Yeah. Well, one of the siblings is, uh, you know, Pete from Pete and Pete. <laughs> That's how yeah, that's true. Well, and his other sibling, so the one that plays Megan, I was reading, fun fact, she is actually a professional judo. Yep, judo, and she was in one of the Mighty Ducks movies. Was she? I didn't know she was that, in Mighty Ducks. But yeah, that's how a, I that's how I know about the judo thing. Yeah, she's part of like the professional judo team like for the Olympics. Yeah, crazy. So they have their there that is a good fact that I like, I like that one. I wonder if she's still still doing it. Obviously, a lot of times passed. Um, yeah, I don't believe she's still acting, but her name is Hillary Wolf. So if you want to look her up, she was part of the Olympic judo team in 1996 and 2000. That's awesome. That's like such so specific. You know what I mean? Like of a of a fact to have for that one. <laughs> I mean, I got it from the internet and it was kind of easy because I do want to shed light on the fact that uh, it is the 30th anniversary of this film. 
It is the 30th anniversary. 30 years. Let that sink in, people. 30 years. <laughs> also, I lied. She wasn't in Mighty Ducks. I'm confusing her with somebody else. That's going to bug me now. Are you confusing her with the other Pete and his sister in that movie? You know, Pete and Pete, the little Pete. Oh, that's right. Mighty little Ducks. Pete. <laughs> little Pete was in Mighty Ducks. And oh I think God. his sister is actually like a professional figure skater. Or at the time, she was like a, well, like a figure skater. You've spent so much time in these these worlds. Um. <laughs> but back to Home Alone. Um, yeah, I just, so I never picked up on the fact that like the neighbor kid was there and that's who they counted in the head count, you know. And mm-hmm. also when um, they get in the fight and the, the soda spilt and the milk spilt, I didn't realize that Kevin's ticket is thrown into the garbage. So nobody realizes that he's not yeah. there because it's not like they're you know, one ticket short and they don't have a person accounted for it. It's kind of brilliant. They set up all of these little clues that, yeah. and again, as a kid, we did not pick up on, but you're right. You had, as an adult, you're suddenly like, oh, I have all the questions or all the answers to my questions of why this didn't happen or did or didn't happen. You know, there's still obviously things today that, you know, nowadays, you know, we're here in 2020, 30 years ago, you only had paper tickets here in 2020. Our tickets are on our cell phones. So I don't think this movie could have been made in this era because everything would have been solved with one phone call or one text message. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Especially like the lost in New York. When we get to the second part of this, like they would have immediately known where he was as soon as he was able to land and text him and be like, Oh, I got on the flight to New York. You know, it wouldn't have been this big mystery. Right. And the other thing I think about too, is when, so obviously you see them wake up, everybody's rushing around Kevin. And this is in the first movie. Kevin is still asleep. The other reason that they lead to the fact that maybe Kevin wouldn't have weighed up, waken up is because he was asleep by himself in the attic Mm -hmm. so all the hustle and bustle is going on below him and nobody thinks to go upstairs and look in the attic especially when when you're flustered or you're in a rush it's amazing how many things your brain forgets oh for sure and it's interesting because you know had fuller been up there i wonder if they would have forgotten him too like would anybody have noticed if two kids were missing as opposed to one kid i I feel like they would have. I feel like it would have been easier to be like, we're down two kids. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, Fuller is actually played by Macaulay Culkin's brother, Kieran. Yep. Yep. Who still continues to act to this way. To this day. Yep. That one's always crazy. And I think it's, I think it's funny to think when we think about 1990 versus 2020, when, and this is, (laughs) this really bugs me. So when they go to leave, Uncle Frank, who is, I feel like everybody has an Uncle Frank in in their lives. And as they're running out the door, Uncle Frank says to Peter, Kevin's dad, we're never going to make it. The plane leaves in 45 minutes. And then, you know, one of the next shots we see is them running full sprint from getting off the van, going through the airport to get to their gate, dropping off their bags. They are running Full tilt to get there. None of these things would ever work out in 2020. Oh, no, because security is so much, you know, more oh, yeah. intense Se- now. Security is extremely intense. You have to take off your shoes in all of this. And there's a reason why they say to give yourself two hours before leaving for a domestic flight. Now, mm-hmm. if you're lucky, you can get through security very quickly and maybe you'll have a little downtime. But for the most part, 
there's just no rushing. You need that extra time. And you, I mean, to get 14 people through security, that alone could take 45 minutes. Yeah. Before even finding your gate, <laughs> you know what I mean, to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, you know, back it up a little bit or, you know. So Kevin's mom is played by Catherine O'Hara, which is funny because, Jen, you were just, you sent me something mentioning, like, the youngins out there were unaware that she was Kevin McAllister's mom <laughs> in these movies. Yes. Because yes. they primarily know her as Moira. Understandably, like, that show is huge right now. So, of course, these young adults would know her in that primarily um but also surprise guys if you're listening to this she's also in beetlejuice check her out in that it's a great movie oh, um legend. but the scene where kevin is like talking to her at the top of the stairs where she's like kind of grounding him you know for the night mm-hmm. that that hit me way harder as an adult i was like oh i can't imagine your child like telling you that they hate you and they wish you you know you didn't exist and they wish they didn't have a family and just her responses of like well be careful what you wish for and all this stuff and then i'm sure her as a mom realizing on the plane that she forgot her own son like i just her thinking back to like that's the last conversation i had with him you know just oh absolutely it hit way differently as an adult (laughs) you know (laughs) the funny thing is is that that scene and that same conversation kind of happens in the second movie too yeah and that hit me but differently than how it hit you it hit me different as an adult but it hit me to the point where i was kind of watching this scene play out going this is how my mother would talk like i like she would be the one to be like careful what you wish you know wish for but she would have this look on her face where she's trying to hold in her emotion but she actually is upset because the words that you're saying are hurtful mm-hmm. and obviously we know you know after you watch the movies that kevin doesn't actually feel that way but it is still gut-wrenching to hear it from your kid for the first time and in my head i was immediately brought back to be like did i ever do this to my own mother like like i, I was i literally was sitting there thinking and i actually think i do remember a moment when I was very young where I might have told my mom I hated her and she was really hurt and she explained why you don't say that to your mother. I don't think it ever happened again after that. I felt so Well, bad. and that's, yeah, I think, you know, 90% of us have been there and have said that and had that, you know, the parent kind of come back and say like, you know, don't say that. Here's why. Like, yeah. So definitely a, a real, you know, moment there that of course also propels a good portion of the storyline for how Kate feels later and then how Kevin feels later on because you know he's now there is a little discrepancy he in the first movie they say he's eight years old mm-hmm. um, Macaulay Culkin was actually 10 at the time mm-hmm. in the second movie he says he's 10 years old but it's a year later well you know <laughs> it was two years later in real time so I'm okay with it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Also, I think the other reason they might have gone with 10 is because Macaulay Culkin was 12 at the time, and I really don't think he could have passed as a nine-year-old. Yeah. I mean, he he was always young-looking when he was young. Yeah. Like, back in even his Richie Rich days. And, yes. like, I mean, he always had that kind of look, so he was able to get away with it for, for a while. But I think he had the perfect look in the first movie. Yes, he does. He does look quite young and he has been able to pull off those kid roles 
Um, I remember like the first movie I think I actually saw him in was The Good Son with Elijah Wood. Do you remember that movie? Mm-hmm. I do. I, I think it was after Home Alone. I don't remember what year it was made, but that was one of the first movies I saw him in. And I just remember being devastated at the fact that like, oh my God, this child's evil. Like, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like when I was a kid, I, I kind of perceived Kevin as being a menace and a nightmare. And as an adult, I completely changed my mind. Oh, in this film? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're talking about in the other film. Oh, no, I'm talking... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler for that movie. FYI, he is is bad. (laughs) He's bad. Real bad. Um, But no, in this film, yeah. No, I totally get that. He does have kind of a menace aspect to him. But at the same time, like, this kid is way more brave than I would ever be if I was left alone. Like, he goes down in the basement and is, like, running around his house and exploring and, like, super excited. It's like, if my family was gone, I'd be like, oh, my God. Oh my God, I'd be like crying in the corner and like calling the cops. <laughs> like, well, that's I, one of the things I think is interesting about Kevin that you see with his personality is that in the when he first wakes up and he's walking through the house and he realizes that nobody's here and then he runs outside and he sees the cars in the garage and he's like, they didn't go to the airport. And yeah. then he goes back inside and he's sitting at the kitchen table and he's kind of like pondering to himself. Um, almost like a very adult, you know, style of thinking. And he's like, I made my family disappear. Like he literally thinks that because of the conversation he had with his mother the night before that he made his family disappear. And that instantly cuts into a montage, like you said, of him running ballistic around his house, jumping on the beds, doing what I would expect a kid to do if they were left alone to their own vices. But it doesn't take long for that to shift like when he goes in the basement and then sees the fire thing and runs up the stairs i have 100 percent done that in my basement so many times i'm 35 and i still do it in my basement <laughs> <laughs> they don't have basements in texas so i don't have to worry about it anymore <laughs> but it's really funny too because i was thinking about so when he it's one of the things i think that's interesting that kevin does when he's left a home alone is he constantly yells out like his family can hear him. Mm-hmm. And when he's watching, sorry, when he's watching the movie Angels with Filthy Souls, the gangster flick. Yes. That was made for the movie. It's not That a was real made movie. for the movie, not a real yeah. thing. Uh, it wouldn't probably be very good if it was. But it also is famous because it came up with the most, it, it's responsible for one of the most iconic lines of this movie. And when Kevin is sitting there watching that, he yells out and he goes, Hey guys, I'm watching Rubbish and eating junk. Why don't you come and stop me? Even though there's nobody in the house. And he has this bowl. I don't even, like, what do you think? There's 30 scoops of ice cream in that bowl that he's eating? Oh, my God. There's so much ice cream in that. Like, I was, in both of these movies, I watch him and, like, you know, when he's in the hotel and he orders all that junk food and even at home when he's eating all the junk food. And I'm just like, how did this kid not get a stomach ache? (laughs) And he's watching this movie. And, of course, the the scene plays out in Angels with, with Filthy Souls. And... You know, we get the iconic line, keep the change, you filthy animal. Mm -hmm. And it was right then where Kevin got scared, covered his eyes and screamed for his mother. Like it was those little things that show his actual innocence and his actual age. Yeah. Because he's like, I'm watching stuff that I haven't been able to watch because everybody always said no. And then he finally watched it and he's calling for his mom. 
Or like when he's going through Buzz's stuff and he's like, these girls don't have clothes on. Gross. <laughs> yeah. And because he's clearly not at the age yet. Right. Right. That, you know, the switch, the flip hasn't, the switch hasn't been flipped yet. Yeah. Yep. And fun fact, in that same scene, when uh-huh. he picks up the picture of Buzz's girlfriend and mm-hmm. he goes, Buzz's girlfriend, wolf. That actually is a picture of a boy with a wig on. Yeah, it's the art director's son because they, and I thought this was actually really cute. They didn't want to like be mean to any girls by casting them as an ugly girlfriend. And so the art director's son stepped in and was like, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, that's great. I was like, you know, gotta like those little tidbits. Yeah. So it's right around, I think that time is when... They cut back to the parents, right, on the plane where she realizes in another iconic moment and she says his name. Mm-hmm. Where she kind of and we've all had that feeling where we know something's wrong mm-hmm. and you don't know what it is and you can't kind of place it. And you yeah. can see and I mean Catherine O'Hara is amazing. You can kind of see her like eyes going back and forth, like she's trying to remember what it is, and obviously she's remembering that she didn't see Kevin at all. And that's when she sits up in her plane seat and goes, Kevin! That You know, that iconic Kevin, which yes. we get in both movies, which is great. Although I have to admit the one in the in two is my favorite because she doesn't realize it at first. And No, they're passing the bag back and forth. Right. <laughs> Kevin's, Kevin's and not here. <laughs> Kevin's not here. The dad is actually the one that recognizes Right, because she hands it into Peter and she goes, Kevin's not here. He goes, what? And she just laughs. Says his name and passes out. Yeah. That one is so good. Well, and on the, it's, so in this one, they really have like a thing with angels and I wonder if it's because it's Christmas time. But on the plane, if you notice, uh, his dad, Peter, is reading a book called Nobody's Angel. And then Kevin's watching that film, you know. Angels Angels with Filthy Souls. Yeah. (laughs) Which in the second movie is now Angels with Filthier Souls. Yes. The sequel. The sequel. Um, which is actually, you know, even watching that clip, that clip scared me as a kid because it is pretty, it's not necessarily graphic, but the sound of the Tommy gun is very Mm -hmm. loud. Oh yeah. But, you know. I, so, okay. So back in the day though, this, this was one thing that didn't make sense to me as an adult. In both movies, I noticed that they were just like, okay, grab a seat. Did you not used to be assigned a seat on an airline? No, I think you were, but I think they were just trying to take off. So they were like, just find an empty seat or, oh, you're talking about with the whole, even the whole family. Yeah. Cause when, when the whole family's getting on the plane to go to Paris, they're like, okay, just go grab a seat. Like, uh, do you mean just like go grab a seat out of the ones that we have? It doesn't mean like, uh, you know, like that, no, <laughs> what that do you mean? Just go grab a seat. Well. I don't I think that just might be a thing through the movie because in the second movie, which obviously is only two years later, when they're in the car and she's handing out the tickets and one of Kevin's siblings is like, none of us are sitting together, which means she's looking at the tickets and she and that's when Kate's character says at this time of year, you're lucky to even be on the same plane. Hmm. So I, they have, I don't know why they did it that way. I don't actually have an answer for that. The only answer, oh, wait, wait, okay. The only answer I can give for that might be because they were the last people on the plane. Maybe. They shut the door behind them both times. Yeah. So at that point, if there was an empty seat, just sit in the seat. But also I'm surprised that 
honestly, like, none of his cousins noticed he was on that flight before Kate realized he wasn't there, you know? But they also didn't in the second movie when they were passing the luggage, so. <laughs> and that's true. Clearly, Kevin's family is very oblivious. <laughs> <laughs> Every person in the family is super oblivious. Now, obviously, before, you know, we've been talking about Kevin being home by himself and... The other iconic scene that we get out of this is when he's in front of the mirror. And it's it's kind of interesting. In the in the first movie, I noticed that a lot of his behaviors, like when he goes to the grocery store, he's at the drugstore, or even when he's getting ready in the morning, he's kind of mimicking what all the adults in his life has have always done. Oh yeah. And that comes up in the the mirror scene where he's got the towel around his waist and he's combing his hair and you know, he's kind of mimicking all the steps his dad would do to get ready in the morning. And then you have the super, super crazy famous look where he puts the aftershave on his hands and then smacks his face and screams. Yes. Which I don't know if there's a, a more iconic image from this movie. I just remember all the kids imitating that. Like, I remember being oh, yeah. legitimately in all the kids imitating that. Ah. <laughs> People still, to this day, always ask Macaulay Culkin to redo it. Like, he talks about it all the time. He's, <laughs> Poor he guy. knows he will never... He, he does. You can tell that he he does it to be a good sport, but it's like he'll never get away from either of these yeah. movies. I do also love when he's walking home from the grocery store and all the groceries fall out of the bottom of the bag. <laughs> and I feel like we've all been there, too. We've yep. all had that moment. And he has the same reaction where he's just like... <sighs> like... Kevin McAllister, super relatable adult. <laughs> At eight years old. Now, obviously, the other part of this movie, um, which is based off of two people we have not mentioned yet, which are Harry and Marv, mm-hmm. played by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, who are iconic in their own right. The crazy thing for me was that as a kid, you have Joe Pesci, who, I mean, this guy was in Goodfellas. He is already bit, like terrifying in my brain even to this day i'm scared of joe pesci but i was first scared of him this for this movie when they said that he was to prepare for this movie he stayed away from uh macaulay so that he would genuinely be scared of him when he saw him on screen yeah and he's terrifying daniel stern is not as, as oh Marv. no yeah marv no. is way too stupid so it's like He's the comic relief of the duo. Yeah. You know, like between the two of them, Marvel's always got the great one-liners and yes. this, you know, their stupid reaction and not the best ideas ever in either of the movies. Um, but I think the one thing that's super interesting too is that in the first movie we meet Mar- we meet Harry's character right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. He's standing in their in their foyer of their house for that whole chaotic scene. Yep. Trying to figure out who the parents are. And he has that sequence where he asks every kid that walks by, he goes, hi, are your parents home? Yes. Do they live here? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Must be a fancy orphanage. <laughs> yeah. Which I always, you know, love that. But then that's a legitimately real tactic, not necessarily today's day and age, but back then pretending to be a police officer to learn people's patterns Mm-hmm. would have been a legitimate tactic for a thief. Yeah. I feel like nowadays it would be 
so hard for somebody to break into somebody's house, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. I just, I feel like there's multiple reasons why this movie would be hard to make in this day and age. And that's definitely one of those reasons. Oh, yeah, because they'd have a, you know, a fancy alarm and it would immediately go off. Yeah. <laughs> also, they wouldn't leave their kid behind in the first place. Right. So <laughs> there's there's so many things. That, you know, with, with the invention of, you know, cameras like Ring and Simply Safe and that, it would all be caught on camera and... Well, and even the whole scene where, like, Catherine is calling, or sorry, Kate is calling the cops and trying to be like, my son's at home. I, you know, I can't get there. Can somebody check on him? And that whole, I get that they're playing it up for humor, but I'm just like, there's no way that the cops would just not check on a eight-year-old who's left home alone. It just, no. Yeah, that bugs me. They just, one's wrapping their presents, the other one's eating a donut, and they're just like, and they keep calling her hyper. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, because her kid's home alone, and she's literally in a foreign country. Yep, I yeah. So that part was a little frustrating, but at the end of the day, you kind of need to have these cops being, you know, right in order to progress the story. We need the cops to not be involved. Yeah, um, you know, till later on, and the multiple scenes that you see with Harry and Marv kind of staking out the joint, they try to rob the house on multiple occasions. Yes. Which I forgot about. Going back and watching, I didn't realize how many times they try to rob the house and Kevin kind of hedges them off with just simply turning on a light or having that fun dance party, you know, in the living room, you know. and Right. With all the, which by the way, I, any kid at eight years old who could put all that together, bravo, you know, where he's got all of his cardboard cutouts on the train and. Girl, any eight-year-old that can set up all the friggin' traps that Kevin set up, I, genius. That's. I, there's no way I could, at eight years old, have been able to set up all those, all those things that he sets up to stop. I think movie. maybe I could have, you know, could have done a couple of them only in the first movie, not the second right, movie. Right, a couple, really but you, you also have to take into account, like, where are they going to step? You have to think ahead of them. You know, like, all this, he just takes into account so much. He's a boy genius. Boy wonder. <laughs> when they finally do decide to rob the house... Kevin already knows what time he's what time they're coming because he spies on them in re, in reverse. Yes. And they're yep. like, we'll come back at nine o'clock, which, by the way, if you're going to rob a house, do it later than nine o'clock. <laughs> I'm just but nobody's saying. home on the block, so this it doesn't true. matter. This is true. But I'm still thinking that if a car was driving by, saw the world's most suspicious van. Yeah. Well, they did back the van into the driveway. That's right. They so did. You wouldn't have been able yeah. to see it. So at least there's that. There was a part that made me question, like, why didn't Kevin just go to the cops and tell them, like, hey, these guys are planning on breaking in at 9 p.m. But then as I was watching, I realized he went to go buy that toothbrush at the store. Remember? Yep. And he gets scared from the older man and he runs out of the store. So then he's like, oh, my God, I'm a shoplifter. I'm a criminal. And I think that's what deters him from going to the cops because he thinks that the cops are going to think he's arrest him for the yeah because yeah. of the thing yeah that no that's really good uh what they first refer to as old man marley yes which is actually the gentleman that lives either across the street or caddy corner or is it next to them i can't remember which house it is um but he's one he of those on their block somewhere yeah, he, he's one of their neighbors and in the beginning you see him outside shoveling and salting the sidewalk and buzz tells Kevin and his cousin this story 
about how he's like this crazy murderer and that yeah he's the south bend shoveler or something like that (laughs) the south bend shovel slayer yeah and that there's not actually salt in that bucket there's body parts body bodies (laughs) parts and which which to interject here i'm so sorry to interject but i just want to point out that is so legitimately true i have 100 percent done this to my sisters before i have have told them a lie an absurd lie that they have totally believed and have you know been afraid by or you You know. know what i don't have siblings but i do have all younger cousins and i legit have told my youngest younger cousins lies before similar to that like i told one of my cousins that if they didn't hold their breath when you go drive by a cemetery that the spirits will come out and they will enter your body. So, you know. <laughs> I'm so sorry to younger siblings out there. <laughs> so when we see Mr. Marley, or what they call him as Old Man Marley, every time we see him in the beginning, we're kind of meant to be afraid of him because Kevin is afraid of him. They also play some kind of alarming music every time Kevin sees him, like when he sees him in the store or he makes contact with him multiple times. Mr. Marley's just kind of staring at him and Kevin is terrified. And that is until we get to this scene where Kevin is sitting at the church, listening to the choir and old man Marley walks up to him and, and says, Merry Christmas and says, can I sit down? He's very polite, very pleasant man. And he says to Kevin, he goes, you know, when you see me, it's okay to say hello. Because there's a lot of rumors going about me around about me, and none of them are true. And this character and the same kind of representation of a character in the second movie are probably some of my favorite parts because they are the most wholesome parts, one of the most wholesome parts of these movies, where you have Kevin, who is a young kid having an interaction with an older person, and that older person's kind of trying to impart some wisdom upon a child. But at the same time, Kevin gives back advice because old man marley tells him that his granddaughter is in the choir and him and his son had a falling out and he's not allowed or he's not welcome to see her and kevin's just like well you should just call and apologize like it from the most innocent way that a kid would tell you to do something Mm -hmm. like totally not complicated like well why don't you just apologize and you know he's kind of like oh is it that you know simple like you know from a kid's perspective you know, they don't really see the complicatedness of... Well, they're not jaded by pride or by, you know, regret, things like that. They just see the simple, well, when you mess up, you apologize. Right, absolutely. And I I do kind of love that, and it comes into play in both movies. That character is super important, mm-hmm. um, both for the main character and for the storyline. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because Old Man Marley originally wasn't in the first version of the script and people had told John Hughes that he needed more heart to the movie, that it was, Mm -hmm. you know, comedy heavy, but needed a little more heart. And so that is how his character came to be. And he actually is named after or named as a nod to uh, the character in A Christmas Carol. That's awesome. That's very John Hughes. I like it. It is very John Hughes. And the other thing, too, is that, but it helps, though, because you have a movie that is a lot comedy. You have, um, you know, a movie that is a little bit scary because of these two burglars that are literally after a child. Mm-hmm. 
after a certain point. First, they want to break into the house and steal stuff, and then it becomes revenge on a child. Yeah. But then it works because it's all balanced out between that. And then when you add all these heartfelt Christmas, you know, themes and feelings, it kind of helps balance out the other two. Mm -hmm. It did kind of annoy me watching as an adult, like how these robbers kind of get a vendetta for getting back at this child. And it's like, man, if you had just left that kid alone and not robbed his house, you guys would have gotten away with everything, but nope, you had to go after him and then you got caught. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. Can we talk about the passive, I don't want to say passive-aggressive, but the petty nature of Daniel Stern's character as Marv in that every house they hit that he leaves the water running? Like, it's not bad enough that I just robbed your house, but I'm also going to make sure to cause thousands of dollars in water damage. And also drive up your water bill. That, too. It just got me every single time. Every single time I was like... Oh, come, like, do you really, like, you already stole all their stuff while they were away. Do you really need to destroy their house as well? But they're you know, the worst. They're the wet <laughs> bandit. They are the worst. Now, as we transition, obviously, into the night that everything goes down, which is, I think, one of the reasons these movies are so iconic is that series of scenes um, where they finally come back to the house and Kevin is ready. Kevin has fortified the house. <laughs> he has fortified the house. And I think it's actually funny. He's already prepared. And you see that iconic moment where he he opens his plans. You know what I mean? Of what mm-hmm. he's going to build and all these traps that he's going to do. And excuse me, right before it all goes down, he's sitting at the dining room table, which he set with the fine china and the candlesticks. And he's eating microwave macaroni and cheese. Yeah. And he says his prayers and he thanks God for his macaroni and cheese, but he never actually eats it because the clock strikes 9 p.m. And he goes and he arms himself with Buzz's BB gun. Now, this is really interesting. I don't know if this bothers you, but the series of events that go down with these guys between this movie and the second movie, um, they get a lot worse, I think, in the second movie. Yeah. I'm not saying that these aren't good, but I think these are survivable. Mm, I I don't know. There's a few that I feel like they would have done. And, and they actually had they had a medical examiner go through and see all these wounds. And they did determine that the men would not survive this attack because they would have gotten like infections and things that would have killed them off. But yes, I do think that this is definitely a lesser attack than in the second movie. However, it's Kevin's first time doing it in this film and in the second film. He's already got experience. Like, he knows what's up. Well, where did he get to the experience to begin with? That's always bugged me because some of these things, like when he puts the the hot iron around the doorknob that Harry will ultimately grab. I mean, I truly don't know because he's eight years old. So how he crafted all of these things, again, he had to determine, like, I'm going to think like it's like a chess game. You know, it's playing a game of chess. What are they going to do? What is their next move going to be? Where do they need to be standing for this to be accurate? Like when he drops the iron down the chute, how does he know the guy is standing there? You know, and how does he know that they're going to do certain things? I just, well, I get it. It's a movie. It's pretend. The iron, but... the, the iron down the chute, he knows he's going to be standing there because that was where the light switch was. Okay, that's fair. Marv goes to turn on the light and the string pulls on the iron and he's too too stupid to move out of the way. 
even though he can hear something coming down the chute. That was another big issue I had with the film. Again, like there's multiple times where it's like, you guys could have just easily moved out of the way. I get that you're reacting, but a normal human would react faster. Like when Joe Pesci's head is on fire, like and he pokes through the door and his head catches on fire. He's literally standing there for like three seconds with his head on fire. Are you kidding me? The second my head was on fire, I would have pulled my head through that door. Well, I think it's funny too. Like in the first movie, there's, you know, multiple scenes that uh, there are a couple that obviously we we've determined like the, the paint cans in the face that probably would kill you if it didn't just smash your face in. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, you have the burns, but what I love is that the very first thing that happens is Kevin watered the stairs. Yes. Such a simple, but brilliant such a tactic. simple, but brilliant tactic, which comes up in the second movie when they, tr they check the stairs to see if there's ice on them. Yes. <laughs> like, well, and yeah. he checks, if you notice, he checks the doorknob too in the second one to make sure yeah. it's not hot. Yeah. So, you know, when he grabs the, you know, the thing and he, you know, he's holding on to it. That's, you know, one of my favorite, but also like little things like the toy cars in the living room that they slip on, or I don't know, do you have in the first movie, one of these the injuries that kind of just like you feel it more than any? I have two. Yes. Um, well, I have one that I hate watching it. I'll literally look away because I hate it so much. I know uh, which one it is. Yeah, I'm sure most people do. When Marv is walking up the stairs and steps on the nail, I can't, I can't. I just, I can't. Every it's too time real. I, see I can't that, do it. Just, I can't do it. No. Nope. Anybody who's mm -hmm. ever stepped on something sharp, like that is the, and he, like he's got the car, so he, you, he planned for him to be barefoot. But my second one is when Marv climbs in the window and Kevin put all the glass Christmas ornaments yes. on the ground and yeah. he steps on the Christmas, again, with the feet. Shit in your feet is just, God, might as well be your eyeball. Uh no, mm, no, mm -mm. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Uh, I don't do good with gore. I just because I feel I feel it. You know. <laughs> no, thank you. Mm. Good to know uh, which podcast we're gonna have a hard time covering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be doing that through the whole thing. Uh no. Mm. <laughs> That's just gonna be the whole section of my talking. Um. So in this. So in this movie, after they make it through the fun all these different you know traps the and fun it, traps <laughs> i need to call them fun traps but they remind me of a fun house in the first movie not the second one um it's a sadistic fun house yeah as they make it through all these traps in the first one and you know kevin plans it out so that the cops arrive to his neighbor's house so that they don't actually catch the bad guys at kevin's house which he planned for mm -hmm. and Right before he runs over to his neighbor's house, he actually calls the police and uses like a deep voice. And he's like, hey, my house is being robbed. I live at, you know, and he gives him the address of his neighbor and he runs over there. But they they catch him. Yeah. You know, they catch him and they put him up on the hook. And I, I'm always disturbed to this day about the first thing that Harry's character wants to do is bite off his fingers and never know what to do with that. <laughs> Yeah. He goes, I'm gonna start with your, I'm gonna start with this figure right here, and he goes to bite, and obviously that's when old man Marley shows up. Well, and in real life, he did actually bite Macaulay Culkin, like broke the yeah. skin and everything. He did in real life. Yeah, I'd be afraid of Joe Pesci too. So <laughs> still, in. I I don't think that was part of his method acting. That was more of an accident. But yeah, that would terrify me. But oh, absolutely. 
Um, yeah, I don't I don't know why that's his go to is like but I guess so that Kevin can't set up any more traps against them. I don't I don't know. Cause he he clearly has no problem like killing a kid. He literally says that, you know? Mm-hmm. Multiple times. Which is like really fun for a family movie. How how wonderful for kids to hear. But um <laughs> I love the nineties. <laughs> I've had this discussion with my friends. They'll be like, "How did the how was this allowed?" And I was like, "Man, it was the '90s. Anything goes." Um, so right after he, you know, the bite goes to happen, old man Marley shows up and hits them both with a shovel, and he grabs Cav- Kevin and escapes with him, you know, throughout the house. And the the cops show up. He brings Kevin home. The cops show up to arrest the wet bandits. Um, who, when you see them being brought out of the house, they clearly have been beaten up, you know, kind of been through the ringer a little bit. Yeah. And I love, actually love, this is one of the reasons I love Marv's character, um, is he immediately will start telling the police what they did. (laughs) And Harry's kicking him going, would you shut up, Marv? Marv, yeah, Marv has a big mouth. But also, okay, so the cops come, they arrest it, they see Kevin there, like he's, clearly there and then we just see him alone at his house like again there's no way cops would let this child just be alone at his house with no parents and meanwhile this has all been going on um kevin's mom has been plane hopping from airport to airport doing her best to try to get back to him as fast as possible and this is obviously when we're, you know, I think they're in Scranton and she's kind of going off on the flight Kirk at the airport about why she can't get back to her son. And this man interrupts her. And as we know, it is the wonderful John Candy. Which I forgot he was in the film. Because he has a very small role. Like he's not yeah. in that much of the film. He's only in, I think, two scenes. Yeah, I was watching it and I was like, oh yeah, he is in this movie. And he's a he's in a band that plays polka and they offer to give her a ride. And in a know, U-Haul of all things. Which is so unsafe, by the way. That's <laughs> that entire Again, anything goes in the nineties. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's how she ends up getting back to them. And, you know, John Candy is there with his comedy and his wisdom and Well, and they said that his his role was actually inspired by his planes, trains, and automobile character, which fits perfectly because poor Kate has literally traveled on just about every mode of transportation to get back to her son at this point. Including a U-Haul. Yes. Which is where we get the, you know, when we come to the Christmas morning scene where we see the U-Haul pull up in front of the house and we see Kate go in the house and she's looking around and it's decorated for Christmas. It's clean, which mm-hmm. I don't buy. Um, but the whole, <laughs> the whole house is clean and she's, she's looking for Kevin. And originally before this scene, so re- these scenes kind of happen at the same time. Kevin wakes up in his parents' bed. He slept in his parents' bed the whole time because he, again, he's still only eight years old. That is something a kid would do for comfort is mm-hmm. they would sleep in their parents' bed. And he wakes up Christmas morning and he runs downstairs looking for his family. Now, earlier in the movie, he had asked the um, smoking parking lot Santa 
that he didn't want any presents for Christmas and all he wanted was to, to see his family and if not his family, just his mother. Like, I don't think there's a more endearing moment in either of these movies where he just wants to see his mother. Yeah. And, you know, he goes downstairs and nobody's there and he walks away. So this simultaneously happens with his mom coming into the house and they kind of meet at this moment and she's staring at him and he's looking at her and he kind of almost is playing off like he's angry or sad that he got left behind. And you can clearly see she's just excited to see him and she feels so bad about what happened and he can't hold it any longer before he smiles and, you know, jumps in her arm. It does have a good, happy, warm ending. Yeah, and as an adult, that scene got me. I teared up a Every little. does. Oh, absolutely. Like, Dang it. <laughs> I didn't want to cry. <laughs> the only thing that brings me out of that scene, um, and I forgot to actually mention this earlier, is their house. The decor of the house, every room in that house, the colors are red and green. And I don't mean red and green because it's Christmas. The wallpapers are red and green. The furniture are schemes of red and green. The ba- every the bathrooms, the living rooms, are, and it's horribly ugly wallpaper. A lot of paisley going on. Oh, yeah. It's very but, busy. It's like every room is very busy. It's very busy. But everything is red and green. The bedding of every room, of every character, everything is red and green. And I think it was a, probably actually a conscious choice because it's a Christmas movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, how better to remind us that it's Christmas, it's Christmas. the whole time <laughs> than have the entire house be red and green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, the styling choice on that house is not one that I would pick. But, you know, the times, I guess. So, yeah, to close out this first movie, I just wanted to share a few fun facts that I found about the movie. Um, And the role of Kevin McAllister was specifically written for Macaulay Culkin, which I think you can kind of tell in watching it. Like, it really is just a role meant for him. I couldn't imagine any other kid playing it. No, absolutely. It was only only really ever. I I literally I it's that's it. It's Macaulay Culkin. There's nothing else. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, another fun fact that I didn't mention while we were talking is that the scene where Marv has the spider on his face, he told them, like, listen, you can put the spider on my face one time. We're going to do it in one take. That's all you get. (laughs) And when he screams, because, you know, the spider gets put on his face and he screams, he actually had to mimic screaming. He wasn't actually able to scream in that moment because it would have scared the spider. So they had to. Yeah. So they had to dub over the scream with, you know, a scream later on. I, I That one I always wondered about growing up as a kid because I have a fear of spiders and I'm like, why would you make any sudden sudden, sudden movements? Yeah. I mm, Good on him for letting them put a spider on his face. I don't know that I would have agreed to that, but it's all for the craft. I don't know if I would ever have done that, but I have also had giant scorpions on my face, so I think I kind of get it. You have. I, mm, girl, no. We'll add that to the list. Okay. So join us next time. We are going to deep dive part two of this great story by going into Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. A big thank you to our internet peeps for listening and joining us today. We appreciate every single one of you. Join us next time and follow us on social media. We're at Scream Mavericks Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, be awesome and keep streaming.